Well, good morning, family. All right, let's get our Bibles out. Welcome those of you that are joining us online. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. We're in this series. We are family. Ephesians 5, that's 1082 on that pew Bible there in front of you. You can grab that and uh, turn to that page. If you need a Bible, take that Bible with you. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about marriage today. Yikes. So uh, let's set the, the record straight here, okay? I know what the Bible says, but I'm far from an expert on marriage. I've, uh, I've been studying and working at it for 30 years. I'm better now than I was in the beginning, trying to get better every day. Uh, but, you know, there's always, uh, there's always opportunities to smile and be reminded that, you know, uh, we got a little ways to go. The other, you know, a couple weeks ago, my wife was having a conversation with somebody and they were laughing about the pet names that ladies having their phone for their husband you know like I don't even it was some crazy thing like you know so-and-so's phone rang and it said hot pants on it or smoking hot or something like that and anyway they were going back and forth with all this and so I'm listening to this so when the conversation got done I eased over there and called my wife's phone and looked to see what it said boy I was like this is gonna be good and it said, Tony or two other people? <laughs> I said, who are the two other people? I mean, I'm one of three possibilities here when the phone rings. So much for that, see? Just letting you know. So I'm aware that everybody in this room is not married, Okay. I'm aware that some of you want to be married. You just haven't found the right person yet. I'm aware that some of you are called by God to singleness so you can uh, focus yourself on kingdom endeavors. I know that some of you have lost your spouse, some by divorce and some by death, and both are excruciatingly painful. But if you're not married... No matter the reason, this text is for you, and it is very, very helpful because everything that the Bible says here in Ephesians 5 about marriage is very helpful in all relationships because uh, what we'll see today is that everything Paul says here points to the relationship between Christ and his church. And if you're part of Christ and part of his church, then this is a word for you, okay? Now let's remember that the book of Ephesians is really about identity and not activity. Uh, many of you have been studying Ephesians in your uh, D groups, and it's been good to be able to uh, study through and, and prepare as we're talking about the same thing on Sundays. But um, it's the first half of 
of the book of Ephesians is all gospel. One, two, three, the first three chapters. It's all about the gospel. It's not God is good, you're bad, try harder. It's clearly instead you've been saved by grace through faith. Nothing to brag about, right? Yeah. And we see in Ephesians that God's not taking bad people and making them better. He's taking dead people and making them alive, which is a big difference. But when you get to chapter 4, verse 1, the corner turns, and the second half of the book is about the implications of the gospel. And so chapter 4, verse 1 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you've been called. And that's the shifting point in the book of Ephesians. So when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, you don't earn His approval. That's not how this works. It's not that you've earned it. It's because you've been approved and accepted by what Christ has done. Then every area of your life is impacted. Every area of your life is impacted. And that's important when you when you look at this whole section in chapter five so get your listening guides out and let's set a marker let's set a stake saved people's lives look different you have to understand this is for christian people because the whole premise begins in verse 18 Chapter 5, verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Everything that follows is predicated on the possibility, the opportunity that you have to be filled with the Spirit. If you are not a Christian and you have, then you have no opportunity to be filled with the Spirit, then none of this is going to work out. But if you are, then the, look at how it transforms everything addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing making melody to the lord in your heart giving thanks always for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another out of reverence for christ you see that is the overarching umbrella over all of this so what that means is is that marriage is part of this gospel implication that's what that means and so therefore any marriage problems are gospel problems so the solution to marriage problems is always the gospel i feel like i'm pretty good at marriage counseling that's something i excel at why not because i'm great at marriage because i'm great at the gospel It's a gospel issue. All you have to do is take the problem and insert the gospel and figure out where have we derailed from the gospel. That's where the problem comes from. See, if you get it right at the cross, you will get it right at home. Every time. Every time. All right, ladies. So men and women in this passage of Scripture take cues from different places so for you ladies women you take your cues from the church it's very clear the way paul breaks this down you take your cues from the church so 
Ladies, your favorite verse in all of Scripture, verse five, chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, what a fun verse. Isn't this great? You just said yesterday, your husband said, Honey, what do you want to do today? And you said, I don't know. Submit? Is that what you said? That's not what you said, is it? No. So we talked a lot about this last week. Submission does not mean subjugation. Nowhere does the Bible command one person to make another person submit. That is a completely faulty, wrong, unbiblical understanding of the word submit. And I understand that a lot of people have gotten this a lot wrong for a lot of years in the past. But I can't do anything about that. All I can do is deal with the presence. The present. But here's the deal. The verb, whenever it's used, is always in the middle tense. Now, you probably don't care about that. But listen, it means, because of the tense it's used in, it always means you submit yourself. You're not being submitted. And that's a very important distinction. The other distinction that needs to be made before we move on is that it, it doesn't say wives submit to men. Does it say that? It says to your own husband. You got that? That's important. Words matter. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So you see this church language his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, the husband is the head. So you should circle the word is because it's important. Because it doesn't say should act like. It doesn't say that. It just says is. So the reason that that's important is because that is positional authority. So the husband is the head by the decree of God, whether he's good or bad, whether he accepts it or rejects it, he is responsible according to God. So he will give account. He is held responsible by God regardless of, of how he handles it. That's important. That's just he is, okay? So when God looks that's what he sees, regardless of what's going on, that's what he sees. So most of the time, the conversation that I get, or, the, or the, the phrase that I hear a lot of is, well, pastor, I wish things were the way they ought to be, but my husband just doesn't lead. He's not the leader of our home. He's not the spiritual leader of our family. He doesn't lead. Okay. To which I say, well, what has that got to do with you? I understand that God wants it to be a way that it's not. But for you, you need to be sure what it means for you. Because remember, last week, it's not about them. It's not about him. It's about you. It's about us. So understand, submission is an invitation to lead. Is there, 
Is there an invitation there? Now, he may not take the invitation, but is there an invitation? Because if there's not an invitation, there's a problem with you. A lot of times when I hear my husband's not leading, he's not welcome to lead. Not all the time, but a lot of times. Is there an invitation to lead? Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything, yikes, to their husband. Now, husbands, if you're quoting this verse, it's over for you. (laughs) Don't call me. It's over. It is over. You are done. It's simply just reiterating the point I made a million times last week. When we submit, we place others' needs before our own. Needs. Needs. Not wants, not desires. Needs. What did Christ do to the church? He put the needs. Look, the the church didn't even know. We didn't even know what we needed. We had no clue. We didn't know what was going on. But he did. He put our needs first. So when you submit, you're not a doormat. This is not some second-class position. The Bible makes clear there's no distinction between man or woman, Jew or Greek, slave or free. It's not, it's not somehow make yourself something less. Think about all the, just the boss, stand-up women in the Bible. The Proverbs 31 woman and all of her endeavors and success and, and leadership, tremendous ways. Or, or Deborah, look at Lydia. Lydia was unbelievable in the New Testament. Ruth. These aren't second-class doormat women. No. But how does the Bible teach us about great leaders? Jesus said, Whosoever among you desires to be great, let them be a servant. So there's lots of great women in the Bible, and greatness is marked by their servitude. And they did great things, and they led in many things because they were servants. Everyone in the Bible who leads serves. That's how that works. And we have a lot of great, amazing women in our church that lead and do a lot of great things. Let me give you one simple recent example. Right here, you see Jamie Woodall receiving the Sonny Montgomery Award, which one person gets every year who has shown exceptional leadership within the Mississippi National Guard or Air National Guard, and she received that. So amen. That's exciting. Look at that. 
So what we have to understand is that submission is not about your worth, your value, or authority. It's not about those things. It's about the organizational structure of the kingdom of God. That's how God organized the kingdom. Is the world organized that way? We're not talking about the world. We're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about relationships in the kingdom. We're talking about people who are filled with the Spirit. And you know, what women desire is a man who takes initiative. In other words, when I study these passages about marriage and about what God is saying to wives, if you look at the other side of it, in other words, if God's saying, wives, you should do this, then it's clearly telling us a lot about women. It's telling us that if this is the case, then God must have designed men to take initiative, which is an opportunity to stop and, and make a few comments about what plagues so many Christian men today, which is passivity. It's a disaster. It's just a... a well, we'll get to it. But let's talk about women and initiative for a second. Now, ladies, just think with me for a second. You, you follow me. Let me give you an illustration. Simple illustration. Do you, let's suppose you're going to go on a date. Maybe it's a date with your husband, or maybe you're not married, and it's a date with a young man. So unmarried ladies, listen closely. No, unmarried men, you listen super close. So would you rather go on a date with a guy that, that shows up to pick you up and, and you get in the car and he looks at you and goes, uh, so what do you want to do? No. Get out of the car right then. Get out of the car. Or the guy who pulls up to pick you up and he says, listen, I'm not sure what you're in the mood for, but I've, 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 I've picked two amazing restaurants. One is a seafood kind of thing. The other one is an Italian kind of dimly lit romantic kind. I'm not sure what you feel, but they're both amazing. So either one you choose and, and we'll get started. Or I've, you know, or you call her in advance and say, hey, uh, you know, tell me some things you like to do. Tell me some things so I can set all this up. And then you pull up and you go, all right, I've set up a great evening for us. Initiative. You don't show up and go, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> I mean, come on. Lead. Take initiative. I mean, There probably is such a thing as a lady who wouldn't like that and says, what are you, you're, you're only giving me two options? What are you trying to squelch me down? <laughs> then, man, you get out of your car and just leave it with her and just get out of there. <laughs> but what, what, 
what women want, to the best of my understanding of what Scripture is saying, is they want somebody who lovingly initiates. Because you know what it does when you lovingly initiate? Now, see, when you dictate, that's different. That's, that's, that is uh, restricting. But when you lovingly initiate, you know what she feels? Freedom. She feels freedom in that. That's what she should feel. Not restriction. See, initiative is just simply taking responsibility. Take responsibility. Only if you're single, go on a date with a guy who takes responsibility for the relationship. See, if he didn't take responsibility for what you're going to do, that's, you, everything that follows is going bad. Because you want to end up married to someone who takes responsibility for the family. And if he can't figure out where you're going to eat, he's never going to figure out the whole kids and wife and everything else thing. You want to find a man. Women are designed by God to, to, to be with a man who feels the weight of responsibility under God for his family. For his relationships. And there's the other side of that coin, ladies. You gotta understand who you're married to. You gotta understand who we are. Every man is asking one fundamental question, really from birth. And the question is do I have what it takes? That's what we're asking. See, growing up, our whole life revolved around trying to get our dad to answer that question. And if we didn't have a dad, then we were looking for somebody to fill that slot to answer that question, do I have what it takes? And then somewhere along the line, ladies, you showed up, you know, in your pretty hair and all your smells, and we got distracted and we forgot about our dads, and then we, then we were obsessed with you answering the question of do we have what it takes? And the thing is, is that, ladies, you have to understand that no one has more power to answer our question than you do. You have tremendous power in our lives. Tremendous power. See, a lot of men, their biggest fear is to lead. And here's why. See, the reality is, is that if they start to lead and you don't follow, they're just walking alone. And it's really embarrassing. And so it's not that they don't want to lead. It's oftentimes that they're a little bit afraid to because they don't know. But if there's a clear invitation to lead, you're going to find most men will step out in faith and begin that process. See, for a man to step out, it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. And when you come along and you affirm him and you celebrate that, it breathes life into him. It's one of the most powerful things you can do. 
Now, some of your husbands are going to make some adjustments because of what's been said today in this room. They're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and they're going to start to try to do some things better. And when they do, don't you dare say, well, you're just doing that because of the sermon. It's for you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Mark it in your Bible. Proverbs 21, 19. All right. If a wife stands under her husband, not because her husband is inherently worthy of it. It's not because he's worthy. Don't, don't look at him. That's the wrong thing. Nor because his status as husband deserves it. It's not that. It's not because somehow he's behaving in some way that deserves it. No. It's because her Lord calls her to do so. That's what a wife does. That word submitted just means to stand under. That's all it means. That's all it means. And so if you're if, if during our time together this morning you're thinking about your spouse in any sort of negative way, you are not hearing what I'm saying. Because I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about you. This is about you. Regardless of what they do, regardless of whether they're here or not, regardless of whether they... it's regardless of any of that. Now I recognize those are some difficult words for wives. But look, there's only 41 of them in that passage. There's 41 words relating to wives. There's 116 to straighten out husbands. So what does that tell you? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. So buckle up, fellas. So verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we see men then take our cues not from the church but from Christ. We take our cues from Christ. So again, regardless of how your wife behaves or reacts, our job is to love her and pursue her and value her for Christ. For Christ. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, Jesus was willing to sacrifice everything down to the very last drop of his blood to make his bride fully alive and who she was meant to be under God. That's what he did. See, you know what Jesus did? Look, and gave himself up for her. He initiated. 
Were we begging for him to come? No. He didn't do what he did predicated on what we were doing. He did what was best for us. He responded to our need. We weren't begging for him to come. No. Was the church in great condition when he came? No. It was in horrible. She was in total disarray. But he came. See, he took initiative. He took responsibility. She wasn't attractive. She wasn't beautiful. But it didn't stop him. You see? It didn't stop him. Even though she was a shambles, it didn't slow him down or hinder him in any way. That's the picture. I mean, how does a man love his wife in this way? Well, you're willing to sacrifice anything for her on her worst day. Even if you get nothing in return. Not because of her, but because of Christ. And look, verse 26, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, if that's not a picture of need, I don't know what is. That's Jesus responding to our need, even though we were oblivious to what the need was. And our behavior was completely undeserving of it. So the key here is the understanding that you don't lead your wife to the place that's best for you. So many men lead their wife to the place that's best for them. No, you lead your wife to the place that's best for her. That is very important. See, it's an act of servant, servitude. See, we serve our wives because we belong to the Lord who is the great servant. That's why we do that. That's why we do that. Because we're, we're responding to what he's done. We're, we're growing in sanctification or Christ-likeness. We want to be more like Jesus. And the ladies will tell you it's easy to follow a man who takes his cues from God like that. It is. Things begin to work the way they're meant to work. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. This is interesting. He who loves his wife loves himself. You notice that God didn't say this to the ladies. I mean, I just think this is so telling about us. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. What is happening right now? I, I mean, every time I read this, I kind of get tickled. It's not meant to be funny, but it's just such an indictment on us as men. Of course it doesn't say, you know, to wives that you should love your own bodies. Most wives hate their bodies. Not men. Look, we get fat, bald, 
Hair leaves where it belongs, turns up where it never was meant to be. We catch a glimpse of, of ourselves in the mirror. We're like, oh, still got it. <laughs> I mean, we're pathetic. See, when, when we got married, come on, focus in, rain it back. When we got married, we were experts at loving ourselves. I mean, prior to marriage, man, I had that, I would, I had that down. Man, I loved Tony. I was good at loving Tony. That's what the Bible's saying. Now our job is to notice the words nourish and cherish our wives in verse 29. Nourish and cherish. Think about the, the things the Bible says to husbands about relating to their wives that aren't, the Bible doesn't say the other way. It's, it's only to men. Like, for example, there's a verse in 1 Peter that says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Why does the Bible say that? Because the Bible's saying, hey, dummy, you should start studying. You don't understand. That's why. You don't understand. We say, I don't, I don't know what to do. She's so complicated. So unpredictable. I can't figure her out. Yeah, but somehow you figured out fantasy football. I mean, amazingly, when it comes to your hobbies, you're a genius. Have you noticed that? You figured out all the science behind weather patterns. You've studied the moon cycles, how to, how to remove all scent from your clothes. You even put urine on your shoes. You study the reproductive and biological tendencies of wild animals. You figured out how to dress in such a way that makes you invisible in the woods, but at home you can't seem to sort out the complexity of tucking in your shirt. You notice that? Oh, I can't figure her out. Is that true? I think you can. Not to mention the fact that men have figured out how to track an animal through the woods in the dark following little spots of blood like a Navy SEAL on a rescue mission. But we can't figure out our wives. You know why? Because what are we pouring our effort into? Other things. You notice we, we can figure out how to hit a little white ball 520 yards into a four-inch cup in five hits or less, but we can't figure out our wives. Hmm? No, we can figure out what, what's important to us. We'll figure it out. You, you, know what, you know what most of our hobbies prove? Nothing's too hard for us. You, you think, about some, think about some of you guys. You, you took some old rusty piece of garbage 
junk bomb car and made it into this magnet. It's better than it was when it was brand new 50 years ago. So you can parade around like you are the greatest thing in the world at cruising the coast where you can't figure your wife out. You think about that. How many hours and hours have you poured over figuring this out? You can't figure her out? You're not putting time into it. That's what it is. You put your time into other things. Live with her in understanding. You have a response. We have a responsibility to understand them to the best of our ability. Listen, I'm 30 years in. Do I understand everything? No, but I'm working. I'm making sure I'm giving more effort to that than any other thing. I want to be better at understanding my wife than any of my hobbies. Amen. Or choke. Your choice. See, man, every wife, every woman is asking a fundamental question as well. She's asking, am I lovable and valuable? See, from the beginning, that's what little girls were asked. That's why my little girl would come comes in, you know, with her little dress on, and she comes and stands in the living room and twirls around in front of me. Because she wants to hear me say, you look beautiful. And you know what? The same way it did with us, it graduates from them, and now we're the ones with power. We're the ones with power to answer that question. They're looking for affirmation. They need to know they're lovable. They need to know they're valuable. They need to know it from us. That's our job. Put her needs before your own. You know, all the things that you're always, you're always fussing and fighting over the allocation of resources and time. And you know why that is? Most of the time, if she felt like the most valuable thing in your life, she wouldn't care about those allocations. The reason you're fussing and fighting is because she feels threatened by them. Why does your wife feel threatened? by your allocation of time and resources? That's the question you should ask yourself. She should never feel threatened. It's really not that complicated, is it? Not when we're willing to look clearly and honestly at the situation. And look at verse 30. Why is all this? Because we are members of his body. That's why. You see, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Why why would God make this relationship where two people become one flesh? For one reason and one reason only. Not because it's not about marriage. It's about the gospel. It's because we're part of his body. 
See, this is the mystery, verse 32. It's profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That marriage exists to be a picture of Christ and the church. Christ and the church is not a picture of marriage. It's the other way around. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Again, that's pretty telling about us as men, isn't it? And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Which means when our wives feel loved, it satisfies their fundamental question. And when a husband feels respected, it satisfies his fundamental question. It's not that complicated. See, we have to, we have to realize that both wives and husbands have a relationship that precedes and supersedes the marriage relationship. This is why the Bible says that a Christian should always marry a Christian. This is why this is so important. Because we have a relationship that precedes and supersedes the marriage relationship, and that is our relationship with Christ. And so we already had this relationship prior to being married. And so when we understand that, and we bring that into our marriage, then what happens is that relationship calls her and frees her and calls him and frees him to live in a way, the way of the kingdom of God, serving as the great servant serves. You see, it calls us and it frees us. We're not just called, but we're free. We're not restricted. We're not... We're not, we're not, it's not, it's not confining, it's, it's liberating. I'll be performing a wedding this coming Saturday, just like a lot of Saturdays across the year. And I will say to the couple, what I often say, remember, I'll look at them and I'll say, remember, before you belong to one another, you belong to Christ. And to the groom, I'll say, before she is yours, she is his. And I look at the bride and say, before he is yours, he is his. And that relationship precedes and supersedes this relationship. And that's, the, that's what dictates everything from here forward. So let's be real simple. What, how, do we, how do we respond to this? What, what do we do? How do we, whatever your situation is, good, bad, broken, fractured, whatever it is, it's the same response because it's not about them, it's about us, you, me, personally. And so we just, we, we take this truth and we say, yes, Lord, 
this is my marching orders. My spouse is the appointed agent authorized to receive the love I want to pour on Jesus. That's what God's saying. He's saying to each of us, the love you want to pour on me, pour on them. Pour on them. Just commit in your heart to pour the love that you have for me on them. That's the beauty and genius of the gospel and relationships. Can you do that? Can you commit this morning? See, forget yesterday. I'm just talking about today, right now. Can you today... Push aside all the emotion, push aside all the past, push aside all, just push it aside and let Jesus, listen, you sang. I don't know if you were lying or telling the truth, but the next minute is going to prove. You sang to King Jesus. Is he really your king? Is he really your king? And if the answer is yes, then pour the love you have for him on your spouse. Let's stand. Father, what we want to do right now is pour the love that we have for you on each other. We need your help. Because you know how fearful the men in this room are to step out and lead. You know how vulnerable that makes us feel. Lord, you know how fragile many of the women in this room feel. And how there's such a strong desire in so many of our hearts to be thinking about what is the other person thinking right now. But God, we need to take that thought captive. This moment is not about that. It's about us individually. Are you our king? Is it really all hail King Jesus? And if it is, will we Reign the love that we have for you on another, regardless of their deservingness. Will we do that, Lord? Will we come to you as king? Are we willing to do that? So in this moment, God, give us courage to serve you as king. This altar is open. I invite you to come. You can come. You can walk down here by yourself. You can take your spouse by the hand and walk down here if that's your desire. But you can come down here to the front, kneel down and confess your intention to the king. 
It's about me and it's about you. If you don't know him as Lord, today is the day that you should call upon him and say, Jesus, save me. Save me, Lord. I want to be your child. I want to be filled with your spirit, empowered to walk in your way, Lord. Give us courage to respond. I'm here. I'd love to pray with you, encourage you. You just come as God leads you to come.